it is once again my privilege to meditate on the Word of God with you. So uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 13 through 26 of Proverbs chapter 3. Well, so far in our study of Proverbs, we have become familiar with a few recurring themes, haven't we? Uh, These are very important uh, truths about not only the nature and source of wisdom, but also uh, about the necessity of our receiving wisdom and living according to it. And last week we saw that trusting God is the first practical step in living wisely because uh, when we trust God, we are realizing that his ways are always good for us. And so our passage today is about the tremendous blessing of living wisely, that is of trusting God. The blessing of wisdom is abiding peace. The blessing of wisdom is abiding peace. Now, we all know that our sense of peace is challenged when, for instance, we find ourselves lying on our backs getting an MRI or when we have been mistreated by other people, uh, when we don't have enough money to pay the bills. These are our legitimate concerns for sure. But the Bible speaks of a peace that transcends our circumstances. And our passage today is no different, as we are reminded that our peace and security don't depend on circumstances, but on our attitude toward God. Because you see, peace is a result of trusting God. And this is a trust that is born of wisdom, and this is a wisdom that's born, of course, of our fear of the Lord, our reverent awe of God. We can have true peace when the money is running out, Peace comes when our identity is in Christ rather than how we are treated. And peace is in knowing that even if the doctor's concerns that drove him to send you to get the MRI, even if those concerns prove to be valid, because we know that our hope is in Christ. And this is exactly the kind of peace that Paul speaks of in Philippians 4-7 in the passage that Pat read for us a couple minutes ago. This is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Now he's writing to believers who are being persecuted for their faith, and yet he's asserting that even they can have a a deep and indestructible abiding contentment. And this is the kind of peace and contentment that doesn't go away. Now one of my oldest habits is reading the comics in the Sunday newspaper. I don't know about you, but I've always done this. And the Peanuts gang has been my uh, constant companion ever since I was a little kid. Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Linus, Schroeder, Peppermint Patty, and all the rest. Pigpen. I love Pigpen. Uh, But last Sunday, uh, Charlie Brown and Peppermint Peppermint Patty had this conversation. Peppermint Patty asked uh, Charlie Brown a very important question. She calls him Chuck. She says, what do you think security is, Chuck? And Charlie Brown says, security? Well, security is sleeping in the back seat of the car when you're a little kid and you've been somewhere with your mom and dad and it's night and you're riding home in the car. You can sleep in the back seat. You don't have to worry about anything. Your mom and dad are in the front seat and they do all the worrying. They take care of everything. And so Peppermint Patty says, well, that's real neat. Then Charlie Brown, being Charlie Brown, says, yeah, but it doesn't last. Suddenly you're grown up and it can never be that way again. Suddenly it's over. 
and you're, you'll never get to sleep in the back seat again. Never. So Peppermint Patty says, never? And Charlie Brown says, absolutely never. And so Peppermint Patty now is just shaking with fear because she's realizing what the world is like, and she reaches over and says, hold my hand, Chuck, hold my hand. Now, isn't that... Isn't that something that we've all realized at some point along the way? We realize that, that the world is a dangerous place. Our, our parents can't protect us from the, all the dangers of life. And in of, our, of ourselves, we don't even have protection from our own love for evil. And so the danger is outside of us, and the danger is also coming from within us. But when we are wise enough to trust excuse me, to trust God, we find true peace. Not as the world gives it, as, as Christ said in, in uh, the Gospel of John, but we, we receive a deep and abiding peace. This is when we can sleep in the back seat again, knowing that God is in the front seat doing all the worrying for us, that he's taking care of us. And this is the kind of peace that Solomon is turning our attention to uh, today in our passage. And this is a blessing that comes from living wisely. Today, we're going to see the blessing of wisdom is abiding peace. The blessing of wisdom is abiding peace. And so our passage today is arranged in two sets of six verses with a pair of verses in between. And it looks like this. In verses 13 through 18, we see the profit or the value of wisdom. In verses 19 and 20, we see the principle of wisdom. And then in verses 21 through 26, we see the peacefulness of wisdom. Allow me to read uh, Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked. When it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. That's the word of the Lord. And may God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing and our understanding. So let's take a look at verses uh, 13 through 18, where we see the profit or the value of wisdom. It says uh, in verses 13 and 14, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Well, the Hebrew word for blessed or blessed is ashray, and this is about the happiness and prosperity that comes when a superior 
bestows his favor on somebody. And so our well-being, whether it's material or spiritual or both, uh, we know comes from God. And so the person who is blessed in verse 13 uh, finds uh, wisdom and he gets understanding. In the Hebrew, find has the sense of a permanent possession and gets has the sense of continual renewal. And so the idea here is that we are blessed by the wisdom that we've already learned and also by the fact that we're continuing to seek it, just as we learned in chapter 2. And so here, being blessed is a matter of both receiving and continuing to seek God's wisdom. And the converse of this is also true. If we ignore God's wisdom, we won't be blessed. It's a pretty simple equation. It works both ways. And of course, if we ignore God's, God's wisdom, this is utter foolishness because the value of God's wisdom is priceless in verses 14 through 18. In other words, wisdom is the, the best investment you could ever make. Now, of course, there's no question that having a lot of money can be a great blessing. No doubt about that. Money gives us a wonderful advantage that can protect us from uh, some of life's dangers. Solomon's point here isn't to dispute that at all. And in fact, uh, in verse 16, he's going to point out that one of the potential uh, benefits of living wisely can be riches and honor, status in the world. Okay, But his point here in verses 14 and 15 is that even if you're a billionaire and you got everything that money can buy and all the benefits of financial security, there's something that's even better, even more valuable that could make somebody who doesn't have two dimes to rub together even richer than you if you don't have wisdom. You see, nothing in this life Nothing that this life can offer us, nothing that this life uh, could give us can equal the value of wisdom. But how in the world can that be? Because money can buy a, really, a, a lot of really nice stuff, wonderful and important things, things that can even really make our lives better. For instance, I've got an insulin pump that's helping to preserve my life, okay? It costs a lot of money. I couldn't have it without money and without insurance. Many of us live in, in really nice neighborhoods that are really, relatively free from crime. And so good things can come f- from money. Good things that, that bring us a circumstantial kind of peace. But wisdom is more valuable than money and anything else that this world uh, could offer because it tells us how to use our money in a God-honoring way. Wisdom tells us even how to be poor. Have you ever thought about that? Wisdom tells us what our attitude should be about wealth and poverty. Wisdom even teaches us other things like how to restore relationships and, and to have good relationships. Wisdom teaches us to live with integrity and a, and a whole host of other things. Money certainly can't do any of those things. You see, how much money we have won't matter to God the, the, the day that we see Christ face to face, will it? What's going to matter to God is how we used it. What's going to matter to God is 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 whether we depended on money for our peace and contentment and security or whether we depended on God. This is why wisdom is so priceless. But, on the other hand, 
Wisdom can bring us prosperity and long life, as verse 16 declares. Long life is, her right, is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. The picture here is that, that wisdom is, is offering us gifts, life in one hand and, and riches and honor in the other. Uh, uh, and it's not that we have to choose between them. Both of them are, are available to us. And it's like wisdom is saying, here, take these. These are great. Take these, Okay. And so with that in mind, here's an interesting fact as we think about our team in Romania right now. Brother Ovidio, the Romanian who leads the ministry there to the gypsies, has told us that there's a tangible difference in a gypsy village before and after the gospel is received. Beforehand, the crime is high and the quality of life is really low. Okay, The crime is high, the quality of life is low. But after a significant number of people in a village come to know the Lord, a change occurs and everything flip-flops. All of a sudden, the crime rate sinks and the prosperity for the whole village increases. Isn't that something? And the reason for this is that Christians on average, because of the Holy Spirit in us and because of the convictions that God gives us, Christians on the average are interested in life. We're interested in being productive. We're interested in the welfare of other people. Uh, this is the wisdom that governs our lives. And so we work hard and, and produce good things. We, ha- we have a good impact on, on our communities, not only in our own lives, but also on the lives of other people because all of a sudden we, we care for people. This is the wisdom of God that teaches us uh, to, to behave this way and to think this way. Now this is a, a general principle of living in wisdom, this idea of of becoming prosperous. It's a general principle, but it's not a universal one in a literal sense. You see, not every believer who seeks and receives wisdom is going to live a long life. Not every believer is going to become rich and receive the accolades, the honor of other people. Sometimes, you see, there is a cost to following Christ, right? We all know this. And all we got to do is, is ask Stephen when we get to heaven, right? He was stoned to death for his faith in Christ in Acts chapter 7. And here was a man who was uh, uh, completely sold out for Jesus Christ. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people, as Acts chapter 6 tells us. We don't know how much money he had before he followed Christ, but it probably wasn't much. And anyway, in those days, believers would, would kind of throw all their money into one pot for the benefit of the whole church. And so probably Stephen had very little of his own. And then he preaches this incredible, awesome sermon, but it makes a bunch of people mad, namely the Jewish leaders, because they don't want to hear the truth. And so what do they do? They don't just run him out of town. They kill him. They kill him. And you know what? He was only in his late 20s. And so in a a worldly sense, Stephen had a very short life, not a long one. He gave up all of his worldly treasures, whatever they were, and he was despised by men. But you know what? That in no way means that the Bible is contradicting itself. Paul, the man who oversaw the execution of Stephen, not only became a follower of Christ, but an apostle. And so as Paul is looking back at the status and the privilege uh, that he once had as a Pharisee, he beautifully expresses the harmony between verse 16 of our passage and the cost of following Christ. In Philippians 3, beginning in verse 7. 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now those are the words of an incredibly wealthy man, amen? These are the words of a rich man, a man who is rich in Christ. And these are words of great wisdom that we can all live by. And so even as Paul and Stephen were persecuted for their faith in Christ, and even as they lost their wealth and their status, as the wisdom of God led them into incredible peril that ultimately meant execution for both of them at different times. But Paul was beheaded, we think. Even though all of that happened, I believe that they would wholeheartedly agree, not only with verse 16, but also with verses 17 and 18. The ways of wisdom are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast, who hold her fast, are called blessed. And so the ways of wisdom, even when we're being persecuted, are pleasant. And there's a sense of beauty here in the Hebrew. And the paths of wisdom are full of peace. And here's a Hebrew word we're probably all familiar with, shalom, shalom. And uh, this means a, a sense of ease, a sense of well-being and completeness. And so you can picture yourself walking down the beautiful path of wisdom. This is like, like taking a hike on a beautiful spring day in Shenandoah National Park. And you're, you know, the sky is incredibly blue and the temperature is perfect and and you smell all the fragrances of the blooms and it's just everything is just surrounded by vibrant beauty and life but you know I am so amazed so often at our human propensity to walk on paths of destruction instead you know sometimes we even insist that those those desolate paths are are beautiful we believe that our our lust is satisfying we believe somehow that our, that our anger is shalom, that our anger some, somehow can bring about peace and contentment. We believe that our self-righteousness is beautiful somehow. We'd rather walk through a barren and parched landscape pretending that it's better than the lush path of wisdom, better than taking a hike in Shenandoah National Park on a spring day. We'd rather walk through a dusty, desolate, waterless, plantless landscape. But wisdom causes us to turn away from the path of destruction and to find pleasure in the things of God, just like the man in Psalm 1 who delights in God's law and meditates on it day and night. And so what we find as we, as we walk in wisdom is that we find a tree of life in verse 18, a tree of life. This brings to mind, of course, the tree of life in Genesis 
The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, of course, we know the terrible consequences of eating of the fruit of the, knowledge, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, that was a broken relationship with God. And because of that broken relationship, we also lost access to the tree of life. But here's something really interesting. In the Jewish tradition, they saw obeying the Torah or God's law as synonymous with restoring life. That is, knowledge with wisdom is mediated through the Torah. And when our lives are restored. And so we read in Psalm 37, verses 30 and 31, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. And so wisdom becomes for us a tree of life because everything about wisdom points us to God's law, points us to the word of God, points us to God's truth, points us toward always obeying God and honoring God in absolutely every part of our lives. And this is what makes wisdom a blessing of life. This is what makes wisdom pleasant for us. This is what causes wisdom to bring us peace. A peace because we're at peace with God. This is the great value, the great profit of wisdom and why nothing else compares to having wisdom. And so now let's consider the principle of wisdom. We've considered uh, the prophet of wisdom. Now let's consider the principle of wisdom in verses 19 and 20. The earth by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Well, the point here is that wisdom is the founding principle of creation, both in its beginnings and also Uh, in all of God's dealings with the universe that he has made. Wisdom isn't simply an attribute of God. It is an attribute of God, but it isn't just that. It isn't just a characteristic of God, but it's a founding principle of creation. Now, we can get a little confused here because we also know from Colossians 1 that all things were created through Christ and for Christ. So we think of Christ as sort of being the founding principle of creation, and in a sense that's true, of course. But also, Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 1.24 that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So which is it? How do we clear this up? How do we understand uh, wisdom in connection with the fact that Christ is wisdom? Well, Graham Goldsworthy is a a wonderful evangelical Anglican theologian, and he uh, wrote a, a beautiful trio of books, and one of those is called Gospel and Wisdom. And he explains the connection between Christ and wisdom like this. Christ, as eternally God, was present at the creation and active in the expression of God's wisdom. And so Christ was there, of course, at the creation, all things were made through him, but he was, as things were made, he was also active in the expression of the wisdom of God. And so the point of verse 19 is that, that really we could think about it that, that wisdom is kind of like the structure uh, on which Christ built creation. And so the cross is a part of that wise structure that saves us from sin and restores our broken relationship with God. 
And then verse 20 even shows us that the judgment of Noah's flood was a part of that wise plan. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. You remember in the story of the flood, it wasn't just the rain coming down, but it was the water coming from the depths of the earth. And then after the flood, God continues to open the heavens, but now in order to nurture and sustain us. He sends rain upon the earth now for our good. The clouds drop down the dew, you see. And so all to say, the point of these two verses in the middle of our passage is to connect the worth of wisdom to the divine source of wisdom. And so, in fact, in chapter 8 of Proverbs, uh, chapter 8 is going to teach us that God even begat wisdom. And so, since wisdom has this divine source, it is connected with Jesus Christ, it means that we cannot say things like this, what's good for you might not be good for me. We cannot say that the truth is relative to our own experiences and circumstances. We cannot say to each his own that everybody's got their own, uh, right, a right to their own view of morality and righteousness and God's okay with whatever view uh, you have. We cannot say that because wisdom is divine. There's nothing about true wisdom that is at odds with the character and nature of God, a character and nature that can be summed up in one word, that God is holy. And so to believe for a moment that we can live in any other way, that we could choose what is not wise in God's eyes, that we could do away with the founding principle of the universe and come up with our own principles that are absolutely devoid of God is an absolute fool's errand, isn't it? Now our temptation as we think about this is to recite all the things that are wrong with the world, how they out there are living corrupt lives, it isn't this terrible, and they need to change their ways and start doing things the way we want them to. Well, of course they're living corrupt lives, they don't know the Lord. But you know what? We can live corrupt lives too, even knowing the Lord because of our sinful nature. We have to remember that the the Proverbs are about us. They're about you and me. They're about whether we as followers of Christ, whether we as, as, as people who proclaim Christ, whether we are holding fast to wisdom and holding uh, on to that tree of life as verse 18 urges us to do. So the question is, are you and I being changed by a, by a more and more divisive world and embracing all of its anger and all of its hatred Or are we being changed and conformed to the principle of wisdom? The principle of wisdom is expressed by our union with Christ according to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you and I building our lives on the founding principle of the universe, which is wisdom? Wisdom that is born of our fear of the Lord. It's an excellent question, isn't it? And so as we move on, if we are uh, building our lives on godly wisdom, then we experience an incredible, tremendous blessing. And that is the peacefulness of wisdom that we find in verses 21 through 26. We've seen the prophet of wisdom. We've seen the principle of wisdom. And now Solomon describes the blessing of wisdom in greater detail, a blessing of profound peace. 
Verses 21 and 22 set the tone for the rest of the passage. That you live in, if you live in wisdom, your life is going to be preserved and enriched as if you are clothed in splendor and honor like a king. Now Solomon is writing this to his son. And that's because he wants what's best for his son. There is no parent on the earth, a good parent, who doesn't want what is best for their children. And so, young men and women, listen up. What Solomon is saying here is to keep sound wisdom and discretion. Remembering, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, that wisdom is training with strong accountability. Wisdom is training with strong accountability. And so as I think about this, I I think this is something of what Solomon is getting at. The question for you as a young person, with the vast majority, Lord willing, of your lives ahead of you, is not something like this. How close to evil can I get and still be okay with God? That's the wrong question to be asking. The biggest question and the most important question in your life ought to be this. How close to God can I get? How, how far can I go to honor God? You see the difference? For instance... If you're asking how much intimacy you can have before marriage without offending God, then you're asking not only the wrong question, but you're asking a very dangerous one. If you're trying to figure out what is the minimum amount of yourself that you can devote to God and still be saved, you know what? You're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. If you find yourself constantly wanting to test the limits and the edges of morality and Christianity and maybe dabble in the edges of evil itself, brother or sister, you are in grave danger. Grave danger. But you know what? The point here isn't to shake a finger in your face and scold you. The point here is to encourage you, to encourage you about the incredible, tremendous, life-giving blessing of realizing that the more you pursue God through his word and saving faith in Jesus Christ, the better your life is going to be. It's a guarantee. And your life is going to be better, of course, in the way that God measures things. And you know the way he measures things? He measures things in a way that tells us that what he thinks is best is far more than we can even imagine. What he wants is always good for us. Now, a friend of mine says that you can find out the hard way or the easy way. You can find out the hard way or the easy way. You can find out the hard way that being a fool is heartbreaking and destruction destructive a lot of us here in this room have found out the hard way and I guarantee you to a person we don't recommend it in our review of the hard way it gets zero stars and zero likes now I'm making a joke about a very serious thing this is dead serious because you can also find out the easy way the five-star way, by listening to wisdom, by pursuing wisdom, by striving to answer the question, just how close to God can I get? How close to him can I get? How much can I honor God? How much can I live in a way that brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ? Because look at what happens when you do. 
By keeping sound wisdom and discretion, as verse 21 says, your life is going to be full and rich and vibrant. And and the path that you take in life is going to be secure, in verse 23. And you're going to be able to sleep at night, in verse 24. Because you're going to have a clear conscience. In verse 25, for a person who's living according to the founding principle of the universe, even when bad things are are happening, even when evil people are successful in their evil plans, even then, in verse 26, the Lord is your confidence. You see, all of this is a natural result of living according to the founding principle of creation, which is wisdom. Now, I think we we can kind of picture it like this about this founding principle of creation. None of us would argue that it is smart to ignore gravity, right? Jumping off of a building with nothing to catch you is a really bad idea. Gravity is a natural law of creation that is fixed and absolute. We ought not to argue with it. To deny gravity is absolute and utter foolishness, right? Well, likewise, the founding principle of creation is wisdom. It's God's wisdom. Denying God's wisdom is foolishness, but living according to wisdom gives us a deep and abiding peace. And that peace comes because we are totally protected from danger when we are in the embrace of our Savior through saving faith. But you know, these days, as a culture, we we have a real fondness and fascination uh, with extremes, we love extreme sports that flirt with gravity, for instance. We, we like bungee jumping off of bridges and snowboarding down tall mountains and then climbing back up those mountains, uh, up cliffs with no ropes. And somehow we've gotten it in our heads that flirting with danger is fun. <laughs> it's, I don't get that because I'm scared of heights. But we, we, we think that, that flirting with danger is fun. But you see... We also do that sometimes in the way that we live. And so we, we flirt with danger morally and spiritually. We're, we're testing God's wisdom. We're, we're testing the edges of Christianity. We're, we're, we're walking out on the thin ice of evil. And when we get away with it, we might even think that we've been wiser than God. But you know what? Before we know it, the rope breaks and we're hurtling toward the ground. A guy I knew in college died when he was free climbing in Yosemite National Park. He fell off a cliff. You see, this is what Proverbs keeps reminding us of. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Because defying wisdom, it's a, if nothing else, it's an awfully stressful and dangerous way to try to live. Because you're always on the edge. You're always a half a step away or one missed handhold away from utter and absolute disaster. But living wisely means that we have an incredible peace, that we are safe. There's no danger of falling off of a cliff because instead of asking how close to the edge we can get, how close to evil can we get, we've decided to answer how close to God can I get. You see, when we're walking in wisdom, we understand that everything that God wants for us is good. And not only good, but infinitely better than anything that the world has to offer us. It gives us a a long-lasting and deep contentment, a peace that is forever satisfying. Not just for the moment, not just like a temporary rush, rush that we get when we flirt with danger, bungee jumping off of a bridge. 
This isn't like that high that makes us believe the lie that peace is boring and unsatisfying. You see, living wisely means that we are full of joy with both feet firmly on the ground, on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Living wisely means that we are men and women of integrity who can sleep at night with a clear conscience in verse, 42, in verse 24 because we've got no enemies lurking around us because of lies and deception because we have lived with integrity. There are no lies and deception. And so that the only reason that anyone could hate us is because we love Christ. And so even when sudden terror does come in verses 25 and 26, even if the doctor has a scary diagnosis, or even when the evil plans of evil people uh, bring circumstantial ruin to our lives, our confidence, our trust is in the Lord. Because we know that everything is working for his glory and for our good. You see, God is in the front seat, and he's doing all the worrying for us as he guides us in his wisdom, and that gives us peace. And so wisdom is more valuable than anything that this life can offer us. This is the profit, the value of wisdom. And that's because wisdom is the founding principle of creation. And that's the principle of wisdom. And wisdom brings about a deep and abiding peace, a contentment in our souls, This is the peacefulness of living in wisdom. And all of this is the blessing of wisdom. In wisdom we know that God is indeed in the front seat doing all the worrying for us. And we know that we can leave it up to him to solve all the problems of the world. In fact, Christ already has. We touched on this last week in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, the Lord is our confidence. He has put us here in the middle of tribulation, and he gives us peace in the middle of tribulation. And that's because Christ is the ultimate victor. But you know, sudden terror does seem to strike every single day these days, doesn't it? In our lives, maybe at the doctor's office or at home and broken relationships or whatever the case may be. But we also live in a world, a horrible world of human trafficking, of mass shootings and hatred and division and celebrated sin. And so as believers, the reason that God has put us here in the middle of this tribulation is to stand up and be counted. To stand up for the justice of God and for his love and his mercy and his grace as well. Because you see, at the same time, we've got to learn to walk in the way of wisdom. Remembering that how we live matters as well. That our lives need to be a reflection of our confidence in Christ. That is, we need to be not living in fear, but living in peace. And so we need always to remember that our peace and security do not depend on politics or anything else in this world. But our peace depends on our attitude toward God. Peace ultimately comes when we trust God, confident that God really has overcome the world through Jesus Christ. 
and that all that is happening is happening for the glory of God and for our good. We also have peace because we have a clear conscience, having lived with integrity, and so we can sleep at night, knowing that we have strived and done our best to serve the Lord and to love him with our very lives. And so as Paul writes to his church at Philippi, these believers who are actually being persecuted for their faith, they're seeing it every single day of their lives, he describes exactly the kind of peace that living in wisdom brings because it causes us to trust God, a peace that causes us to trust God even when terror strikes. And this is what the, the Philippians were beginning to experience. He begins in Philippians 4, verse 5, and Pat read this a while ago. He says, the Lord is at hand. In other words, God is going to keep his promise to come back for us. But in the meantime, trust that, that he's in the front seat doing all the worrying for us. He is right here. He is with us. He hasn't uh, forsaken us. He hasn't left us behind. He's given us the Holy Spirit who gives us the power and the strength to live in this world of tribulation. And then in verse 6, he says this remarkable thing. Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the beautiful blessing of wisdom, a deep abiding, never-ending peace. It's the kind of peace that we all long for, and it comes when we trust that Christ has really overcome the world, and it comes because we long to obey him as we live in his wisdom. Amen. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the peace that you give us through our faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that since Christ is the wisdom of God and since Christ in his wisdom has shown us how to live in, in your word and by his own example, we pray, Father, that you would give us the strength, the courage, uh, the fortitude, and the joy uh, to live in wisdom in a world of tribulation because you, through Christ, have given us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.